Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Pleasures, enjoyments, and possessions. So we want to deal with and make sure we keep stuff in our life in proper order. And that it's okay to understand as scripture teaches how to be blessed and to walk in the blessings of God. But those things are not to have us. If we deal with pleasures, enjoyments, and possessions, these things will not get control of our life. And we will continue to walk out what God has for us. Beginning on point number one on your notes tonight, we must all refuse to be conformed to this world. We must what? Refuse to be conformed to this world. Romans 12, 1 and 2. These are some familiar scriptures I know, but I want you to look at these with me if you would. 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And when he talks about your body, is he just talking about the physical being of our body. No, he's talking about that, but he's really talking about what we spoke about this morning as, as what referred to about the lamp being the light of the body. So he's talking about your lifestyle, what you do, and you and I are supposed to present that unto the Lord as that which is holy and acceptable to him. As a living sacrifice, meaning what? Why you are still here living on the planet. You're supposed to be offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God. What's the problem with living sacrifices? <clears throat> they want to get off the altar. If it was a dead sacrifice, you wouldn't have a problem. Right. right? Meaning what? Well, in essence, if you were not here physically in body, but obviously you're a spirit and you're in heaven, you're not a living sacrifice anymore because you're already with God. Right. So you wouldn't have a problem with any of this stuff. Right. So the living sacrifice means you've got to realize too, because I'm still alive on the planet, Guess what? <clears throat> the old nature wants to get off of that altar. So i got to constantly make sure that I'm presenting my life as a living sacrifice to God. It's not a one-time thing. It's a constant, ongoing thing that we got to deal with in our life. Amen? One of the keys to understanding that is knowing and recognizing I'm already dead to sin and alive to God. <clears throat> Romans 6.1, I'm already dead to sin and alive to God. So again, notice I beseech. Beseech means I urge. <clears throat> so there's an urgency in this message from God through the Apostle Paul. That there is an urgency to this in our life that we need to do. Notice, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, <clears throat> mercies here is the word benefits. Yes. Say benefits. There's a benefit to constantly making sure that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And the benefit is that you can walk, therefore, in what God has for you as a child of God. Because you're not letting your flesh rule you. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not be what? Conformed. Now, years ago, and I've told you this many times, if you remember this, I was driving home one night from ministry school. I was at a Mass Road ministry school at the time, which was uh, half a day, five days a week. I'm coming home from ministry school, headed home to get ready to go to work. And as I'm coming home from ministry school, I see a horse. It was actually in Grapevine area. I see a horse. There's a round pen. If you know what a round pen is, round pen is like a little temporary pen they put up. And this horse was in this round pen. And in this pen, actually, where the horse was, he had all the feed that he needed. I mean, they had like a feeder there full of uh, fresh, it looked like actually even alfalfa hay. And outside of that pen was grass all around the outside of that pen. Of course, where he's at, because he's walking in there all the time, it's all kind of trampled down, so it's all dirt. But literally what that horse was doing, although he had all the feed that he needed, he was actually down with his chest on the ground, his back leg still standing. If you can picture this horse kind of like this with his, uh, his uh, neck laying flat on the ground and his head out from underneath that, that uh, round pen. And all he was trying to do was nibble on some grass outside the pen. And I'll tell you what happens with believers. If we don't deal with our life to keep it as a living sacrifice, we'll wind up being conned into being formed like the world. The world always thinks that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. So I'm driving down the road. I had been meditating on this Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed 
to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. I saw that horse. I looked over and the Holy Spirit said, do not be conned into being formed. This horse has been conned by his old nature into being formed like the world thinking there's always something better outside the area where I'm at. But this perimetered area that his owners had put him in, he had all the feet he needed, was to protect him and give him what he needed. Well, God's the same way. God's saying you got to understand that the devil is going to try to get you to get outside the perimeters of protection of what God has for your life. He's going to try, uh, the enemy's going to try to con you and making you think you're better off by going outside these perimeters. But you're not. Amen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? I want you to get this. By the renewing of your mind that you then may what? Prove. What happens if I renew my mind? Transformation of life occurs. And therefore, what do I do? I now prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there is no outward transformation without inward renewal of the mind. Now, I've got a series coming up, actually, believe it or not, in a couple of weeks. And we're going to talk about the renewing of the mind. You, you will be amazed in this series how many ways you are still thinking like the world. It'll shock you. I guarantee it. But the whole purpose of renewal of the mind is so we can do what? Prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Can I say it another way? So you can walk in the perfect will of God for your life. But that's not possible without what? Mind renewal. Without mind renewal, there's no transformation of life. And guess what? That, tra that transformation is ongoing. You and I are supposed to be going from glory to glory. A higher degree of God's manifest presence in our life. But to do that takes a constant renewing of the mind. Part of why we come to church. Amen? So, back to verse 1 again. I got to present myself. I can't do this for you. You can't do this for me. I have to put myself on an altar every day. Say it. I have to put myself on an altar every day. And that is not beating yourself up. That's not demeaning yourself because we're not talking about the real you. We're talking about the old self-nature. Talking about the old Adamic self-nature. So we're not talking about your spirit, man, who you really are. We're talking about that old Adamic self-nature. i got to put that on an altar every day. So what does that mean? My old body, flesh, ruled nature is not going to control me. It's not going to happen. So what am I going to do? Daily renew my mind to who I now am, what I now have in Christ. Here's, here's the basics of renewal of the mind. Ready? Think like God thinks. I'll set you up for our new series. How many thoughts do you have that aren't, that aren't like God's? How many thoughts do you have that are not like God's? Renewal of the mind means I now think like God thinks. About everything. Everything in life. That's renewal of the mind. And the more I think like God thinks, guess what happens? Transformation occurs. So again, one on your notes. You have to refuse. Say refuse. You have to refuse to be what? Conformed to the world. So how does Satan conform us to the world again? He cons you into being formed. He's a con. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Right? And so realize all he's trying to do is con you. He is trying to get your focus on the wrong thing like we talked about this morning. He is trying to get you to get in a position of compromise Thinking if I get this, my life will be better. You know, there's things you may want in life that won't make your life better. Matter of fact, some of those things can make your life worse. So you got to realize, you know, we went through this home buying process. There were many homes we thought would make our life better, but God really knew that wouldn't make your life better. So you got to understand there's a lot of things you can go through in life thinking this will make my life better. But God already knows. He knows the end from the beginning. I don't want to be conned into being formed like the world. Do you? If you live like the world, guess what you don't walk in? Victory. You don't walk in victory because now you're walking like the world. 1A on your notes there. You can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Think about that. Say, I can. Think about that statement. You can prove. You can. You can prove with your life what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Tell me that isn't awesome. I can prove what is the acceptable, good, and perfect will of God. Why would he tell me that I could do that if I couldn't do that? You can. You can. 1B, you must therefore what? Renew your mind with the word of God. Again, to do what? Think like God thinks. Your purpose of going to the Bible is saying, how does God think about this? What does God think about this? In what way does God think about that? That's how I'm going to think. 1C, you must refuse to be worldly and carnal, for you are what? Underline that, please. You're a spiritual being. 
You're a spiritual being. The reason you're giving your body as a living sacrifice is because that ain't the real you. You're a spiritual being. So you got to realize you have to refuse to be worldly and carnal because that ain't you. You're not worldly. I'll let that catch up with you. You're not worldly. You're not carnal. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. You're a spirit that's made in the image and likeness of God. You're not worldly and carnal. You just got to get your mind renewed to know that. 1D, you have as much opportunity as anyone else to do right and to live good. When you look at others that we could look at as examples in life that have walked out what obviously the Bible teaches, you have just as much opportunity as they did to walk out what is right and what is good. Amen? Go to Titus chapter 3. So that kind of kicks off this series, this study tonight. Understand, you and I have to refuse to be conformed to the world. Be conned into being formed like the world. You and I can deal with the pleasures of life. Does it mean that we're not to have any form of, of types of pleasure, fun in life? No, not at all. Doesn't mean that at all. But it means we don't get caught up with the pleasures, enjoyments, and possessions of life thinking that's where true enjoyment and happiness is. If you think that's true, you're already being conned. Are you listening? I'll tell you what, there is no greater joy than walking with God every day, knowing God personally and experiencing God in and through your life. That's true joy. That's true joy. There is no greater joy. Remember we talked about recently in our series, uh, 1 John chapter 1 about fellowship with God. And true fellowship with God does what? True fellowship with God, knowing Him, experiencing Him, making Him known, causes our joy to be what? Full. Full. So obviously these things are not what cause us to have true joy. It's God that does. Number two, the Apostle Paul tells us here that we were once deceived. Say once. We were once deceived in serving various lusts, but not anymore. Why? Because you're born again. Now, it doesn't mean you cannot allow the flesh to rise up and give in to those lusts. But as a believer, born again, child of God, that's not again the real you. Titus chapter 3. I love what Paul said in Romans 7, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. Why? Because obviously the things that I want as a spirit man to do, I may not always do if I allow my flesh to get out of control. The things I don't want to do, sometimes I do again if the flesh gets out of control. But who's going to help me to walk that out? Jesus Christ. I thank God Jesus Christ has made it possible, he said. Titus 3.1, notice this, Titus 3.1, remind them... Paul writing to Titus here, to be subject to rulers, believers. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey. To be ready for every, ready for every good work. Not getting ready, to be ready. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, underline it. Not even your current president. I I get very frustrated at Christians that speak evil of Joe Biden. I'm going to tell you right now, you're to speak evil of who? No one. Now, saying what somebody does is wrong is not speaking evil of them. Labeling them and talking about them personally is. Could we say of things he's done wrong? Sure. We could all say of things that people have done wrong, including ourselves. But we're not supposed to speak evil of them like labeling them in context of things that they do. Speak evil of no one. Notice, be peaceable. Uh, You are to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to what? All men. men. Three, for we ourselves were also once foolish, say I was. Disobedient, say I was. Deceived, say I was. We were serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Four, but when the kindness... And the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? His mercy. What did he do? Tell somebody, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, he saved me. Notice this, how? Through the washing of regeneration. That's making you brand new in that inner inner man. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, We should now become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We, verse 1, are supposed to do what? Be subject to rulers and authorities and to obey and be ready to do good works. Verse 2, we're not to speak evil of anybody. We're supposed to do everything we can to walk in peace with one another. Now, 
That doesn't mean we're going to be able to walk in peace with one another because not everybody may want to walk in peace, but I can walk away. I said, I can walk away. Verse 3, we were once all of these things, we're not anymore because verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, we're now born again. We've been saved from that old nature. So what he's telling you is you don't have to walk in these things anymore because that's not you. On your notes, number 2, 2A, verse 1, we are to be what? We are to be what? Submitted to authorities. So what does that mean? That means all authorities. So how do we submit to all authorities? Well, let's talk about religious authorities. Are we supposed to be submitted to our pastor? What, how, how do we submit to our pastor? How do we submit to our pastor? Just do whatever our pastor tells us? Nope. What you do in submission to your pastor is you receive the word of God he teaches you and you apply that. If you do, you're submitting to your pastor. Amen? Even when it's corrective in nature, coming from the word of God. That's when you got to submit to it the most. When you know it's something that's trying to correct your way of doing or thinking, you got to submit to that if you want to receive what God has for your life. Are we supposed to submit to governing authorities? Yes, we are. Now, submission to governing authorities. Let's use this as an example. Wives, are you to submit to your husbands? How do you do that? As unto the Lord. I submit to governing authorities. You submit to governing authorities the same way. What if governing authorities are trying to cause me to force me to submit to something that God says is wrong? I don't have to submit to it. But I am still to show a heart of submission, meaning that I am not being trying to be rebellious. I can certainly disagree with them and I can certainly speak up against the things that I know are not godly and not right. But I, again, am going to continue to show what? I'm going to show respect and reverence. Because, again, the Bible tells us to do so. If the Bible said to love your enemies, come on. So if you love them, what's that mean? I'm going to continue to be respectful. Doesn't mean i got to agree with everything they do, obviously, or say. But I'm going to still show love and respect. Amen? What are you doing? You're allowing yourself to not get in a position to get caught up by the enemy taking advantage of your life. Where all of a sudden, you just want to do everything that pleases you. Including name-calling. Come on. A lot of people get pleasure out of calling people names because they don't like what they're doing or like what they're saying, whatever. You're not supposed to get caught up in your pleasures. That's the old you. I said, that's the old you. To be, you're to therefore be ready for what? Every good work. Be prepared. Be prepared to be able to be used by God and accomplish what he wants you to do in every situation. To see in verse 2, we got to treat all men how? Good. We treat all men good. If we treat all men good, God can use us and help us to obviously even influence some that may not be doing right. Right. Doesn't mean they're all going to receive what we have to say. I'm going to tell you why Billy Graham had so many presidents call on him. Because he treated all men the same. He wasn't afraid to tell them the truth. He wasn't afraid to tell people they were going to hell without Jesus. You listening? But he treated people with respect. He didn't, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, uh, speak down to them or, or call them names. He was grateful that he had opportunity to minister the truth to them. Praise God. So we are, again, to treat all men good. 2D, we were once deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. Say no more. Why? Because E, verse 4 through 6, we've been washed. Say thank you, Jesus. We've been washed, regenerated, and renewed how? By the Holy Spirit. Say thank you, Master. So all this means is we're now to do what? Recognize that's the old nature that wants to do people wrong. That's the old nature that wants to get my way, which is called doing what is your own pleasure, which we no longer want to do. We want to do this God's way. Go to James, book of James. Does the Bible say to pray for all those in governing authority? Absolutely. Now, does that mean if we pray for everybody in governing authority, they're all going to get saved and do what we believe God wants them to do? No, but what you can do in praying for people that are obviously not doing what God is declaring in his word is right. What can you do? Turn them over to God. Pray that God would deal with them. Pray that God would address them. Pray that God would reveal things to them. Help them understand the truth. How many know it's still God's will that all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved? Not everybody will, but we're going to continue to pray as God directs us in relationship to how we're to deal with people. So if we deal with people the way God teaches us, we're not getting caught up with our own fleshly pleasure of what pleases me. I'll tell you what pleases me in dealing with things of evil from the old man's nature. I'll tell you what deal pleases me is saying things about him I shouldn't say. 
That pleases every one of our old nature. Like it or not. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, what does your old nature want to do? What pleases your old nature? Hey, Kathy's being honest. What pleases your old nature? Calling them names. Saying things about... So, And what's funny about that is, can they hear you? Does it change anything? No. I have had to deal with my own self and say, that's the old nature. Come on. Lord, help them to understand what they're doing. In Jesus' name, protect them from anybody else they get around. How, or protect everybody else from them that they may get around. Amen? Amen? That's a whole lot more effective than calling them names. They can't hear you to begin with. And on top of that, it's not going to change how they drive. You ever figured that one out? So these are pleasures. These are enjoyments. Enjoyments are doing the things that the flesh wants to do. The flesh wants to punch. Your flesh loves punching back. Oh, I'm not a fighter. Your flesh is. Oh, yeah, your flesh wants to immediately respond back. In a way that's carnal. But we're not, to be, we're not to be ruled by those fleshly pleasures. Amen? Number three, in James chapter four, James chapter four, we're going to look at verses one through seven. Number three, the apostle James tells us here that we must not want God's blessings to spend them on our own pleasures. Our purpose to receive God's blessings is not to spend them on our own pleasures. James chapter four, verse one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Now, understandably, you and I may not look at what we do in life as far as the arguments we get in as a war, but it's a type of war. It's like a miniature battle, even if it's just between you and another person. Where does that come from? Where do these fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for what? For what? What pleases you? That war in your members. We'll read it again. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Why do people fight today? Because they want their way. They want their way. You know, again, I taught you this the other night. I mean, we're here Wednesday night on the family part we touched on. Remember we taught you on Wednesday night? Our husbands and wives are always going to agree. Now, if they don't agree biblically... Biblically, <clears throat> we're not talking about agreeing on the color of the paint on the wall. You listening? We're not. So be awful quiet. We're not talking about the kind of flooring you put on the floor. <clears throat> Is the color of the paint on the wall what you put on the floor have any aspect of eternal value to you? It does not. But we're talking about when one does not do what the Bible says and the other knows it. Are we supposed to fight about that? Is fighting ever going to resolve that? What are we supposed to do? I told you two things. That's one. What's the other thing? What's the other thing you're supposed to do? So we'll rewind the tape to Wednesday night. What do you do if my wife does not walk in line with the Bible or my husband does not walk in line with the Bible? You reveal truth and you pray for them. You still speak truth. You do it in love. You reveal truth. You don't say, well, bless God, you always do this. Let me tell you what the Bible says. That ain't going to work. But you reveal truth because truth is what sets people free. Amen. Amen. So as an example, I'll tell you, man, when we were dealing with this up and down financial thing in the church, I mean constantly like this. Constantly. It hadn't done this in, in years. But it was like up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. I'm like praying to God, God, what's going on? Why are we doing this up and down thing with finances in the church? I don't understand it. And the Lord said, you're not tithing off the church. I teach in the Word of God all that comes into my house, you're supposed to pay a tithe off of. Go back and study it. So I did. And lo and behold, guess what I found out? Everything that comes into the church, God's house, is a form of increase. We're supposed to tithe off of that. Amen. And I'll tell you what, at that time, there was no way in the context of the natural, looking at the church finances, which she did them, that we could figure out how we could tithe and keep everything afloat. But guess what I didn't do? I didn't come to Kathy and I said, now listen, I don't care what you say about this or what you think about it. Next week you're writing a tithe check off everything comes in the church. I don't want no arguments about it. Just write the tithe check. Let me help you. That's not how you reveal truth. No. You listening? Yes. So even if you have a disagreement, but you know in your heart something may be right. Now at this point, I don't know that she's in disagreement. I haven't talked to her about it yet. But I learned from God how to address things in relationship to your marriage 
that will help people to understand how to walk in the light of the truth. I now studied this for several days and looked at all the verses and God spoke to me and clearly showed me from the Bible, this is what you need to do. So what I did is I came to Kathy and said, I've been praying about this for several days. We know our finances have been doing this in the, in the church. Not our personal finances because we were tithers, but the church finances. I said, this is what the Lord showed me we need to do. What am I doing? I'm revealing truth before I ever even know there's a disagreement. It's one of the ways you can avoid disagreement. Amen. So I said, here's the scriptures on it. I want you, listen, to take it to God and pray and ask God to show you if this is not what the Bible says. If you believe it's not, show me scriptures that show, show me that it's not true. Right. Several days later, she come back and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start tithing off everything that came in the church. And guess what happened after we did that? We stopped the roller coaster ride of finances in the church. And things leveled off and we started increasing. We've never stopped. Amen. Understand, this is why you and I obviously get in fights and arguments. Why? Because it's us going after what we want instead of what God said. Amen. Doing things the way we think it should be done instead of the way that God said to do it. Are you still here? Guess what would have pleased me in the natural? Not to tithe off of the church because I didn't think we could. Right. But the truth is, God said we could, and we did, and God proved himself to be true once again. Amen. Verse 2, you lust and do not have. Lust means you have desire for things, but you don't have them. Or you're murdering covet and cannot obtain them. Now, you might not be murdering, in Jesus' name, you're not murdering anybody for stuff. Some people do. But covet, covet means you desire it so much you'll do anything to get it. You listening? And yet still can't obtain anything in relationship to what will really make you happy. Because even if you covet something so bad and get it, guess what? It'll never make you truly happy. Are you listening? You fight in war again, and notice this, yet you do not have because you do not what? Here's why you don't have the things that I want to provide for you and the things you need, because you're not asking me about it. But notice this, verse 3, Now you ask and do not receive, so some were... But notice this, but because you ask amiss that you may do what? Spend it on your pleasures. Some people just want God to increase them financially and bless them because they just want more stuff. There's no desire for them to increase the blessing they're giving to the kingdom. They don't want to give more to the work of God. They just want to get more so they can have more stuff for themselves. And God's saying, I'm not going to bless you for that. I'm not just going to bless you to have more stuff. Why would God not bless you? Just because, if my only reason is because I just want to get more stuff. That's why I want more blessing. So why would God not bless me if that was my motive? This ain't hard to figure out. Why would he not bless me if that's my motive? What are all the things going to become to me? They're going to become a God. If he knows all I'm wanting is more money to get more stuff, guess what he knows that stuff's going to become? That's going to become a God to you. And all that's going to do is hurt your life. Is there anything wrong with having nicer stuff? No. But I don't desire to be blessed, especially in my life now, the older I get. I don't desire to be blessed to have more stuff. I want to help God more. I want to help more people. I want to get that building built. I want to do more for the kingdom. How about you? And if you keep giving more, guess what's going to happen? It's just going to keep increasing back to you. See, the lie of the devil is, well, if you keep giving more, you'll have less. No. God multiplies every seed you sow. Isn't that right? Verse 3, again, you ask and don't have because you're asking amiss that you could spend it off on your pleasures. Look at verse 4. If that's you, I don't believe it's all of you. I just want you to hear what he's saying. A person that's like that, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. What's an adulterer or an adulteress? They're giving their love to someone, or in this case, something that doesn't deserve it. Guess what your car doesn't deserve? It don't deserve your love. Your car didn't die for you. Don't get, don't get mad at me. I didn't say you can't have a, 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 a desire to care for them or a love in a sense to care for them. But I want you to get this. I want you to get this. So if my car doesn't deserve my love, does my pets deserve my love? They deserve my care. Bible tells you you should care for your animal. Absolutely, they deserve your care. But if honestly they deserve my love, that means they died for me. They didn't. Guess who deserves my love? Jesus does. Jesus died for me. Because even people have made pets an, an idol. You still here? 
let alone a car or a home. Name it. Right. Name it. So all he's saying is, is that you're an adulterer and adulteress if life for you is all about your pleasures and what you want to get. Because you're putting your love into something that doesn't deserve it. <clears throat> Why do things and other aspects of life not deserve my love? It didn't mean don't walk in relationship to love to others. But they don't deserve it. Why? They didn't die for me. Who deserves my love? God does. Can you see that? Okay, when I married Kathy, I would become an adulterer if I go off and give my love to another woman. That other woman doesn't deserve my love because I pledge my love to her. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you acknowledge what he did. You pledge your love to him. Therefore, my love is not to be pledged to anybody else above Jesus. That's what he's saying. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world? Listen to this. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Or in other words, you become an enemy or opposed to God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? Man, I don't want to be an enemy of God. How about you? Verse 5, or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he, God, gives more grace, more of heaven's help. Therefore, God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? In verses 1 through 6, who's the proud? Who's the proud? Because he just told you God's going to resist the proud, but he's going to give grace to the humble. Who's the proud? Who's the humble? The proud are those who are after what they want in life. The humble are those who are after God. Better amen. God's going to give what? More help to those who are humble. He's not going to give more help to the proud. Why? They're after stuff. He don't want you to have any other gods. He yearns jealously for you, he just said. He doesn't want to share you with any other gods. You're still here tonight. Therefore, verse 7, do what? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Don't ever tell me the devil's not fleeing from you and you are resisting him. You're not resisting him if he's not fleeing. The Bible said if you resist him, he'll flee. But what's the key to resisting the devil? Submitting to God. If you're submitting to God, what are you automatically doing? You're automatically resisting the devil. So on your notes, again, number three, here the apostle James tells us clearly that we must not want, what again? God's blessings to do what? Spend them on our own pleasures. That's not the purpose of getting things. Having things, Luke chapter 8, having things is nice to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with having things to enjoy. How many of you know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? He owns the gold. You listening? He owns the silver, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I have a question for you. Well, who did he make it all for? He didn't make it for him. He made it for you to enjoy. He made it for you to actually have and enjoy. He's not, he's not upset with you having it or enjoying it. He just doesn't want that to become a God to you. And if you don't deal with these pleasures in your life, because of the fallen nature, it will become a God to you. And therefore, you will pierce yourself through, uh, Scripture teaches, uh, very clearly with the love for riches and things. Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus here said, Now the ones that fell among thorns, thorns, talking about the seed of the word being planted in the heart of people. This is the parable of the sower. The ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, heard what the word, they go out. After hearing the word, and they're choked with what? Cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Cares, riches, and pleasures of life. What does it do? It chokes out the word. And notice this, they bring no fruit to maturity. They don't mature as a believer. They don't mature as a believer. If you are somebody who is caught up with cares, riches, or the pleasures of life. That's your focus. That's what you're after. That's what you want. Guess what? You are not going to mature as a believer. You're not going to mature as a believer. You listening? If you're caught up with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, you bring no fruit to maturity. The Word is what helps us mature. The Word is what helps us grow. But it doesn't do its work if we allow these thorns that come in and choke out the Word of God. Number four, the physician Luke teaches us 
that pleasure seeking. Say that with me. Pleasure seeking. Say it again. Notice. He teaches us that pleasure seeking does what? It stops you from maturing in the Lord. Because all of a sudden now the, the pleasures become your Lord. How does one get caught up in the cares of life? Worry. Focused on the wrong thing. If you are getting caught up with the cares of life and worrying, I'm going to tell you why. Your focus is on the wrong thing. If your focus is on the wrong thing, you're going to think the wrong thoughts. You think the wrong thoughts, you're going to worry. Right? Doesn't the Bible say, He whose mind is stayed on the Lord has perfect peace? Yeah, no cares, no worry. So the focus is wrong if you're caught up in the cares of life, worrying about things. Again, or uh, as he stated clearly, having a desire for riches or pleasures. Well, do, is it wrong to desire riches? Yeah, it is. Is it wrong to have riches? No, not at all. If you do what God says and walk out what God says, he gives you the ability to get wealth. My desire is not for the wealth. My desire is to obey God. And as I provide, uh, excuse me, as he provides me the way to get the wealth, guess what? I'm going to just be able to give that much more to help God's work. And God's going to keep blessing me for it. Can I get a better amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And clearly as we started off not being conformed to the world, what's the world all about? Pleasures. What's the world all about? Riches. More money. More riches, more pleasure. Oh, is that what the believer's mindset is supposed to be? Nope. You're supposed to renew your mind to think like God. God owns everything and he has no problem wanting to help you to help you to get it. He created it for you. So the problem is we're not chasing it, we're chasing God. Could I get a better amen? Here in Hebrews 11, we talk about in this uh, Hall of Faith chapter, uh, Moses. Something significant about Moses' life. How many know Moses was raised in whose home? Who was the richest guy in Egypt in the day? Guess what this means? Moses is being raised by the richest guy in Egypt in the day. Lots of wealth. Lots of stuff. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because he knew he wasn't. Now, all he had to do is keep his mouth shut, and he could have just enjoyed all those riches all the rest of his life. But he, never, he would have never fulfilled God's will for his life. He'd have, never, he'd have never obeyed God and therefore delivered the millions out of Egypt. 25. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Why does it say he esteemed the reproaches of Christ? He was like a Christ. He was like a deliverer. He was like a Messiah sent by God to deliver all the children of Israel out of Egypt at the time. He chose to to, uh, undergo the persecution that he had to face going up against Pharaoh. Instead of just keeping his mouth shut, living in luxury for the rest of his life, he chose, no, this is not my true father. This is not my true place of origin. I belong with the Hebrew children. I'm going to go back with with those who I belong to, with my God. And I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do what he told me to do. And he faced a lot of persecution for it. But guess what? Most of the persecution didn't come from Pharaoh. Guess who persecuted him the most? The ones he helped get delivered out of Egypt. Yet he chose to do it anyway. Amen? Amen. Who did Jesus get persecuted by the most? The very ones he came to die for. The very ones he came to give his life for. The children of Israel. Number five. Moses would rather have suffered the reproach of God's people rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Moses would rather have suffered the reproach of God's people rather than enjoy pleasure the pleasures he may have sinned for a season. You and I got to realize when it comes to the day we live in, let me explain something to you. I shared this the other day. I'm getting mostly positive response, but you get a little bit of flack, as you always do. I don't mind it. But I'm just telling you something about God. Bible's clear. How many know the Bible said there will be lukewarm believers when Jesus comes back? Yeah. Bible told us there would be. Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. Right. Let me help you something we got to learn as a church. Don't waste your time with lukewarm believers. Right. Now, you're going to get flack for it. 
You're going to get flack for it. Primarily from who? The lukewarm believers. Don't waste your time with lukewarm believers. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. The only people that's going to get upset with you not giving you your time in relationship to people that honestly aren't walking right with God is a lukewarm believer if you're not a lukewarm believer. Lukewarm believers don't like non-lukewarm believers. But guess what lukewarm believers want to do? Guess what lukewarm believers want to do? They want to make everybody a lukewarm believer. They want, to make, uh, they want to make everybody like them so they can justify their lifestyle. Right. Want another example? They're called wise and foolish virgins. Right. The wise know they guard their life. They have extra oil. The foolish do not. And the foolish want to get the extra oil that the wise have. Meaning what? They don't want to do what they know they should be. So they want to try to do what? Take your oil. Why do they want to take your oil? So they'll be ready when the Lord returns? No. If they take your oil, guess what's going to happen? There won't be anybody ready when Jesus comes. Everybody's lamp will be flickering. Tell your neighbor, ain't no flickering wick. Tell them. What's a flickering wick? You're a foolish virgin. Now listen, as a wise virgin, if you're not lukewarm and you're not living wrong, guess what you got to be aware of? Those who want to try to get you to live like them. Less church, less God, less of the things of God. I'll guarantee you what we need to be doing right now. We don't need to be focused on lukewarm believers. We need to be going after sinners. The fields are white for harvest. We need to be going after those who don't know Jesus. I'm telling you, there's almost not a week that I don't get around or walk around to some degree based on places we go, lukewarm believers. You know what I do? When I first meet somebody for the first time, find out if they're a believer or not, and if they are, yet they don't attend church and they're not serious in their walk with God, and they're just kind of out here doing like all the lukewarm believers, just kind of thinking everything's okay, No big deal whether I go to church or not or walk with God or not because I'm born again. Once I find that out, guess what I don't do? I don't go after them anymore. I used to. And you know what I did? I've wasted a lot of hours and a lot of time going after somebody who's a foolish virgin. Can I tell you something about the foolish virgins? They didn't need the wise to tell them where to go. They knew all along where to go. You know what lukewarm believers do? They know we're all along what to do to get hot hot for God again. They know. But you know what they say? I'm good. I don't need God. I'm great, man. I'm, I'm perfect where I need to be. And Jesus said, you don't realize you're re- wretched, miserable, and poor. You don't even realize it. So if Jesus said that about them, do you think you're going to open their eyes up to that fact? No. No. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is where you got to understand what I'm talking about about the last days and what Moses did. Moses, was, was, Moses did not care if he got persecuted by God's own people. By God's own people. Guess what Moses is going to do? Obey God. You have to choose to obey God even though you may get persecuted by God's own people. And obeying God means I ain't wasting my time with lukewarm believers. I'm not going to. I'm not going to play around with foolish virgins that want to try to take my oil. How do they try to take your oil? They don't use it. They get you to stop filling up your extra oil jar. By getting you off and doing what they're doing. Are you still here? And when Jesus came back, they knew all along right where to get that oil, didn't they? The Bible doesn't say when they showed back up and told the Lord, hey, come on, wait a minute, how come we don't get... It didn't say they came back with oil. You listening? They just noticed the wise virgins are gone. Tell somebody, I'm okay with obeying God and being persecuted by believers. Sinners are not going to persecute you as a whole. Lukewarm believers will. If you live hot for God, I'll guarantee you who's going to persecute you. Lukewarm believers. They want you to be like them. Be like Moses. Obey God. Go after the sinners. Stay hot for God. You'll be glad when the trumpet blows. I said you'll be glad when the trumpet blows. Because you'll be the ones ready to go. Are you still here? That's not selfish. That's obeying God. That's doing what God told you to do. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I had one guy said, well, the lukewarm there aren't believers. Those are sinners. No, that's a church in Laodicea. That's a church that he wrote to, not sinners. He went on to say something else, and it really kind of came. I almost said it, but I didn't. Because see there again, you'd be messing with a lukewarm believer. The only people that get upset with stuff like that is lukewarm believers. (laughs) They want to justify their lifestyle. But it's true. I, I love the fact I saw an article by uh, Mario Murillo who's having great meetings and seeing many 
Hundreds come to the Lord in these tent meetings. Salvations, brand new salvation, brand new uh, believers. You know, he stated the fact the other day, we've got to quit messing around with lukewarm believers. All they're going to do is pull you down. We need to get, we need to get more on fire for God. Amen. And quit playing around with lukewarm believers that really don't want to get on fire for God. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. This is the parable of the rich fool. It's okay to be rich, just don't be a fool. Right. I said, it's okay to be rich, yes. just don't be a fool. Right. 12, 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? So in other words, this guy obviously had somebody in the family that died. He's upset because he don't feel like he got his proper inheritance. And he's telling Jesus to deal with it. Let me help you again. God's already given you everything you need on the planet. He's going to get in the midst of an argument over, an, over a natural inheritance. You got a much better inheritance than a natural inheritance. Come on, somebody. 15, he said to them, take me. I mean, you know, little wars are fought over inheritances. Sadly. 15, he said to them, take heed and beware of what? Covetousness. I don't care if anybody in my past life, I have descendancy that goes back to the original Dolly Madison. You know who Dolly Madison was? The cakes, the Dolly Madison cakes and stuff. My mom, when she was a little girl, got to go through their home, mansion, 35 plus rooms, and played in it when she was a little girl. I could care less about whether I have an inheritance from them or not. You know why? I have a much better one in Jesus Christ. But it's amazing how small wars are fought over. Well, I didn't get my inheritance. You're, you're wrong. You did get your inheritance. And it's far better than one in the natural. And it can help you receive what you need in the natural. Better amen. Again, 15. So you need to take heed and beware of covetousness. Coveting, wanting stuff. Why? Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. 16. He spoke a parable to them to deal with this. He said, the ground of a certain man, uh, excuse me, a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Huge harvest. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now think about that. His barns are already filled, got all, all that he needs and more than enough. And his, and his harvest is coming in so much now, he doesn't have room to put it in all the current barns that he has. So what's he going to do? 18, he said, I will do this. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. What did God call him? What did God call him? Called him a fool. He said, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself. What is he who lays up treasures for himself? He's a fool. And is not rich toward what? God. Listen, this guy had barns filled. He had plenty. He had plenty, more than enough. And God's saying, so this increase comes because obviously he had to have been operating by the principles of God to see this harvest continue and increase. And now what does he want to do? He wants to forget about God, tear his barns down, build bigger barns, get lazy, do nothing now, and just sit back and do nothing for the rest of his life. Now, I'm going to tell you something. As long as you're breathing, you've got something to do for God on the planet. Amen. Understand what he's saying here. you got to understand, this guy was already rich. What is it that made him a fool? That he all of a sudden wants to now build bigger barns, store everything he's got, instead of giving toward the work of God, instead of being a blessing to the work of God, he don't want to do that. He wants to store it up for himself. And guess what? All of a sudden, the Lord said, and on this night, your life is required of you, meaning you're not going to be on the planet anymore. What good is all that you stored up? You should have been rich toward God. Amen. You know, Jesus didn't own a home. Right. I said, you know, Jesus, there's nothing wrong with owning a home. Do you know Jesus didn't own one? Right. Remember what he told one of the guys wanted to follow him? I have nowhere to lay my head. Now, he didn't say I don't have nowhere to sleep. Guess what? People offered him a place to sleep all the time. Right. But he said, I'm not into, quote, unquote, trying to have all these things of the world. Plus, he knew, I'm only here for a short period of time. But the truth is, all of us are really only here for a short period of time. Our life is but a breath, the Bible says. 
We need to be what? Rich toward God. Number six on your notes, take heed and beware, church, of covetousness and know that one's life does not consist in the abundance. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not where true life is found. Philippians chapter 4. Now, don't go to the opposite side of the ditch. Well, there you go. We shouldn't want to have riches. Uh, how are you going to be a blessing without being somebody who is blessed? How are you going to be able to fulfill? Well, Jesus wasn't rich. Bite your tongue. The guy had a treasurer, and he was stealing out of it all the time, and yet they had money to feed all of his disciples, take care of them. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. 4.10. Paul here writing to the Philippian church said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity because they sent him offerings to help him preach. 11, not that I speak in regard to the need. Notice this, underline it. For I've learned, this is something we need to all learn. Listen carefully. I've learned in whatever state I am in. To be what? In whatever state I'm in, to be content. 12, I know, say he knew. Say he knew. Listen to this. A lot of people read over it and miss the power of it. I know how to be abased and I know how to what? Abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Well, guess what Paul was saying? Paul was saying it's not important just to know how to get through times when things get tight in context of not having all that you might need. You can still trust God and God will get you through. But you know where the real problem is? When people start getting stuff. John Osteen taught Dr. Barclay something. I'll tell you the biggest problem of most Christians. Most Christians, because most of them sadly don't have much of anything, have learned how to get by with little or nothing. You know what most Christians haven't done? They haven't learned how to have a lot of stuff. They haven't learned how to be content when a lot of stuff starts coming. I've watched it happen many, many times. Pastors watch it happen many times. I've shared many stories about this of people who have come into churches with nothing, learned God's principles, God starts blessing them. Now all of a sudden they got a lot, and guess what? They start forgetting God. Their church attendance goes down. Their giving does not increase with the increase of money they receive because they want to keep it all for themselves and spend it on their pleasures. So I'm telling you, folks, God's not against you having riches, but he's certainly against riches having you. The problem with a lot of Christians is not learning how to get through difficult times. The problem is, what if you start making money? What do you do then? How do you handle your finances then? Do you just go buy more stuff? Or do you keep operating by God's principles? Amen? Again, it doesn't mean you can't go buy some nice things or enjoy some of it. I want to give you a quote by John Osteen here in a minute, but I want to show you this, number seven. Why lay up natural treasures for yourself and not be rich in God? Good question. Why just lay up natural treasures for yourself and not be what? Rich in God. Learn contentment. Learn. Paul said, I've learned to be content. You got to learn it. He said, learn. Learn contentment and be able to do what? Live in all conditions. Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. So one last word on that. In the context of that conversation that John Osteen had with our pastor, this is exactly what he taught Pastor Barclay. Pastor Barclay came out of poverty. You want to talk about absolute adverse poverty? He came out of poverty. He knows what it's like to have nothing. He knew what it was like to look at that look in his mama's eye when they would go to Miss Darian's and have to get food to try to feed those four Barclay boys by herself, and she didn't have enough money to get everything that was on the counter that she needed, and had to slide it back and say, sorry, Miss Darren, I can't buy that. No, I can't buy that. I'll just get this here, as she would ring it up. And guess what, guess what God did for Dr. Mark Barclay? Knowing all those days he would become a leader in God, he made a way. Guess what Miss Darian did every single time? Miss Darian put it aside in a box, and when she would go to t- help her take her stuff out to the car, she would slip that box with all the stuff she said she couldn't get in her car. Awesome. God will make a way. Yes. God will make a way. But pastors learned how to abound as well, and this is a problem for a lot of Christians. But John Osteen taught pastor this years ago. Mark, prosper to a degree. To a degree. Put the rest back in the ministry, and you'll never have a problem being blessed by God. Never. John Osteen, a lot of people don't know this. John Osteen was one of the richest pastors ever on the planet. But most people that would have ever met him would have never known it. You know why? Because he kept giving it away. 
He wouldn't keep it. He kept giving it to missions. He kept giving it to the work of God. He understood, I am so grateful to have the privilege to have these finances to bless the kingdom, but they're not going to have me. I'm just going to get that many more souls born again. Last scripture, Matthew 6, last scriptures, Matthew 6, 19, 6, 19 through 21. Again, here do not lay up, therefore what? Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Question, is it okay to put extra money aside? Sure it is, because you can have something unexpected come up. And if you got some extra money set aside, guess what? You got the money to go to. You don't have to go borrow money all the time. There's nothing wrong with having an emergency fund. Nothing wrong with putting some money aside to have a prepper preparation of a fund of money that if you need it, it's there and you need it. Could I get a better amen? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I just heard the Lord say, people are saying, I don't have the ability to lay up extra treasure. Neither neither did Kathy and I for a long time. But then when the time came, we started getting a little extra blessing. We started laying some extra up and just recently had to pull on it. But it was there. And thank God, God will always provide it if you continue to do what? Put some aside. So it's not wrong to put some aside. You understand what he was saying here? Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves what? Lay up for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? Give to the kingdom and you get people born again. And you're laying up treasures in heaven. Verse 33, same chapter. Therefore do what? Seek first the kingdom. I've taught you this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the things you need will be what? What will they be? How many believe the Bible? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? I put the dominion of the king over my life. I submit to the... He is, Jesus is my king. I am submitted under his dominion. His dominion. He is the one that rules over my life. And if I do that and seek what's right in the sight of God, all the things I have need of, they will be added unto me. Here's what you got to remember. It's most likely not going to happen the way you thought. You listening? It's not going to happen the way you thought. One of the richest men in Australia who wanted to actually see money come in to be a blessing to the kingdom, and he's been a huge blessing to the kingdom, is a gentleman who did multiple things in his life. But initially, he kept trying different businesses. He went bankrupt twice and repaid back all the money. But then he started seeking God, started praying, asking God to help him. Give me understanding how I can be a blessing to the kingdom by helping me to get wealth here on earth. You said you would help me get wealth here on earth. Show me how to do it. The Lord kept speaking to him in his prayer time about gold coins, minting gold coins. And he kept mentioning to him through his spirit about minting an inscription, some type of a religious inscription on him. And he just kept thinking, that's ridiculous. There's not much money in gold coins today. At the time that he was hearing this, that he didn't know he was hearing it from the Lord. He just thought it was him. He's already failed two businesses, so he doesn't want to fail something else, right? But, he, but it won't go away. So he finally says, you know what? I'm going to do some research on this. So he goes to wherever you go in Australia to research, you know, gold coins and stuff. And he's researching. And all of a sudden he comes across an article about this and their governing uh, body of uh, information in Australia. Any gold coins that are minted in Australia that have any kind of religious inscription on it, there's no tax paid on it. Any idea how much more money you're going to make not paying tax on the gold that you sell? There's no tax on it. God was showing him all along one of the ways he could be getting richer is if you mint gold coins and on top of it, think about it, you get, to put a, you get to put a verse, you get to put something that glorifies your God on it and when you do, the government can't charge you tax on that which you sell. Amen. He made a fortune off it. Yes, made a ton of money. So I'm just telling you folks, God knows. He owned the gold to begin with. Yes. Number eight, the blessings of the Lord are not to be what? Tell me. They're not to be sought after, but to do what? Overtake us. How many want to see that happen this week?
We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.